some other questions. Here we go. Welcome to another episode of Mission One Purpose with me, yours truly, Rich Rell. I'm your host, Richard John Relliford, aka Rich Rell, Mission One Race's president, founder, and servant leader. Um, grew up in Chicago, okay, one of 11, blended family, played football pretty well with some anger at the time, got a scholarship, my, uh, got my mechanical polymer engineering degree, Went around life, had these diverse experiences of both beauty and pain, and realized that for some reason people listened to me. So I started owning that responsibility and saying, what am I doing with this influence? And then it served on the side of uh, ministry and then taught and administrator and different forms of engineer, all these different things, entertainment, actor, and, and then commercials and TV shows and plays and all that stuff, music, independent artists. Why am I naming that stuff? Because that's what happened. I had this question, these questions in my heart of like, who do you think you are? And for some reason, young, I thought, hey, I'm a person that can affect change and not, not arrogance, just that I can do it. What's your relationship with death? Early on, a death did not have... Uh, this overbearing sting on me, I almost was like, let's go, but not in a reckless way, but realizing that life does not last forever, right? And so there was an urgency, there's always been an urgency, like, Richard, why are you moving so fast? And last but not least, at least why do I wake up? I wake up because I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Really, it's always been that because of the uh, overflowing love of God in my heart. Uh, I'm thankful for my children, uh, my young adults at this point, Taylor, Deborah Ann Relliford, Richard John Relliford II, and Tamaya Sheree Relliford, things like that. The, 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 the privileges I've had of serving um, with World Vision, with New Song LA, launching Mission One Race, ser serving all these different arenas, and seeing that, again, it's all about living a life of purpose, and then the next degree of it became living a life of mission, which has to take that purpose outside of yourself. So on every episode of Mission One Purpose, we will invite you into a conversation around the topic with the leader or influencer or influencers as in today to help us navigate finding your mission and purpose and also just learning from them indir indirectly and, and to benefit others. We're gonna, we have our guests lean into three core questions, right, on living a life of mission with purpose of why they do it, how do they keep doing it? And, uh, and, and our content will be sensitive at times. But not sensitive in terms of like you, you got to worry about dropping F-bombs, but like sensitive in the sense that this is not about just making us, not just you, us feel comfortable. It's about to break, breaking down barriers and actually saying that I believe the 80-20 rules in play in life. 10% of folks charging forward, leading, willing to stretch and grow. 80% followers, not mad at them, but that's just how it is, under the influence of whoever's the loudest, and then you have 10% for whatever reason that are there oftentimes to wreak havoc and calamity, and those are the loudest oftentimes, and that's what we're seeing right now in our society, but we have to refuse to believe that that's the majority, because that's the minority, and we want them also to be transformed, but they only will be transformed, especially the 80, by the 10% of folks that have been given influence, whether it's deserved or not, whether we knew it or not, to lead folks into living a life bigger than themselves, not for their own agenda or attention, but for love, for people, right? So join this conversation by sharing your comments in the Facebook group, right, on Mission One Purpose Instagram, or send us a note at missiononerace.org forward slash podcast. All right, family, I, I want to lean in. I want to lean in uh, and... and I think the topic today uh, leans into the topic later that we're going to hit. So it's, it's synonymous. If you can, you see the title of this this podcast episode. It's called the D word. What? Diversity. Um, it, it's 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 crazy because now when we hear it right in this context, we realize the good intention behind it, 
to see how much more it's missing just by saying, hey, I want to live a life of diversity. Or I just want more diversity. It's, it, 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 the why is missing. The motivation is missing. Um, the intention is missing there. It's not bad, but that's a starting point, even having that desire. But if it's just a checkbook desire, it's missing something as well. So what am I saying this? This the beginning topic and portion is actually for those specifically in leadership in the faith-based realm of things, whether it's at a church, whether it's a youth leader, whether it's with your own children, and you're going to look at your family, yourself first, then your family, and then the congregation or those that you have influence over in any form of leadership, but again, specifically, even more specifically, those that are saying, I am a testimony, I'm an example of being salt and light, meaning an example of what the love of God looks like, because otherwise we're misrepresenting God. God is never the problem in the equation. It's how he's been presented, portrayed, and or uh, uh, with a side agenda, as well as bringing truth forward. All of that has to go in this conversation, this moment. And change will and can happen, both practically and supernaturally. So let's have this moment. Acts 10.34, specifically dealing with Peter. At the moment, he had some prejudice operating early in the stages of his ministry. So again, even if we're in a position of leadership in ministry, does not re remove us from the accountability and from God moving in. And if you're feeling it on your heart to deal with this with love, with firmness, for he wants us to go further. So there is a time. So what I'm saying is there is a time where, where, where you can be being used, but be limited in that use for further use if there's an area of one that for some reason have your heart. And it's not throwing everything out at once, but it is, it is saying he took Peter and put him in an actual trance here in Acts 10 and gave him an opportunity, a connection, if you will, similar to Mission One Race's opportunities to engage with people, to connect with them and reconcile. And Peter then comes on the end of this and says one of the greatest statements in the early church. He says, Peter began to speak here in Acts 10.34. And he says, I really understand now that to God, every person is the same. God accepts anyone who worships him and does what is right. It's not important what country, ethnicity, background a person comes from. Let us move on. The us and them energy of saying those that believe now, that have accepted and giving their life to Jesus are in the in, everyone is in the out. Not what the word teaches. That there's a call to action to say, wake up, leaders, wake up, Christian leaders, wake up faith-based leaders, wake up all leaders, wake up people, yes. But as I did the drill down earlier, wake up, because guess what? There is a shift happening. So thank you all so much for coming. Again, these, these podcasts are going to be a journey. And today we have with us um, a couple of awesome guests. First, Danny Chitwood. Right? She serves as the assistant director for the Chicago region of the Special Olympics in Illinois. She helped create right, and creates athletic competitions for over 5,500 individuals with intellectual disabilities throughout the calendar year. She also serves as the gold champion and chairperson for Diversity Inclusion Task Force at Special Olympics Illinois. Last year, Danny and her team had the opportunity to produce an inaugural diversity inclusion summit in conjunction with the Special Olympics, with, with Special Olympics International. This is awesome. Danny is a PhD candidate in organizational leadership. She will be studying uh, the experiences of women in color in leadership positions in predominantly white organizations. This is a heart. It is a privilege to have her uh, with us along with the other half, because we know that was the better half, Michael. <laughs> just, just messing with you. It, it, Michael Chitwood, uh, friend Danny, as well as friend Michael and I have uh, just really gotten to know each other. And he is my brother, and I and I don't mean that generically. He is the executive executive director of Church and Ministry Partnerships at World Vision U.S. Um, he's the founder of Team World Vision, 
an awesome ministry that actually brought me into uh, charity running and really into ministry full time. Uh, and, and because of his faithfulness around that, he's dedicated to helping people take on life challenges uh, that would change you, like marathons, half marathons, Ironman, uh, ultra marathons, to raise money for clean water projects. Team World Vision has raised over $65 million to date for clean water. He's now the executive director of Church and Ministry Partnerships, as I said, and he released his first book, which you can get. It's available, The, the Ability to Endure in 2016. Uh, which invites people to consider how God can use the most painful experiences in our lives to draw us closer to him through serving others. So I want you to welcome them and let the journey begin. Welcome to Mission One Purpose. Uh, we're mission, well, purpose without mission is purposeless. And even hearing that, you're like, dude, uh, uh, Danny. Hello, Danny. Good to see you. Hey, Rich. Hello, Michael. Big Mike, Big Mike. Big Richard. I'm already offending him. That's literally we we share that. Like that's not a thing. Don't don't start calling him Big Mike. That's not a thing. That actually comes from uh the your, your family, right, Danny? Am I right with that? Like the friends. Oh yeah, my my friends. A couple of my friends, couple not of all of them. them. No. Yeah, and he just got he just rolls with it. Former. <laughs> A former football player like myself, American football. Let me let me clarify that. I'm just naming some just random stuff, and that's not currently uh, what we're doing. We're uh, friends, family, all of that. And I kind of read some of your background, but give me give me this. This is where we're gonna journey. We do have to have. We are having a conversation around the D word, right? The D word. Like I did it like that for a reason. You, know, you got you got to. Uh, uh, spur people's interest. What do you mean the D word? Diversity, right? All of a sudden, all the new experts in this area, right? And it, it, um, it, it is different living it, which you guys cannot possibly see this visually, but we have two beautiful people of a range of uh, skin pigmentation. Let's call it like that. This wonderful multi-ethnic couple here. I mean, not that that's a not not that's that the main point or purpose of what we're saying is, but there's one thing on paper, and there's living it in in reality, right? And then there's leading out in organizations, in, in which both of you have done as well, or or leaning into doing. So in all aspects, I say in a personal way, in your friends, and in your relationship, and in your love, right? In the organizations, and then in just in society every day. So we're going to be having that conversation. I led into some heartfelt comments at the beginning about. Um, not just diversity, but really this urgency around the responsibility, the ability of if you are a leader in a season like this, mm-hmm. Faith and I, if you are a leader in a season like this, this is one of those things where it's like the final, ah, man, I'm losing my football knowledge. What's what's the last two minutes of any game? What is it? Chitwood, help me out. I'm losing problems. Two-minute drill. Two-minute drill. It's the two-minute <laughs> drill for our country. It's a two-minute drill for our organizations. It's a two-minute drill time. This is not, um, you're not getting a substitution. This is not where you ask for a substitution out. You feel what I'm saying? So this is not, we're saying this in love. This is a part where it's like, let's dig our heels in uh, around diversity, around oneness, around unity, and, and in a very not condemning way or shameful way, but in an encouraging way. So I'm hoping to like, Cover that, ter- cover that territory as we're talking. Um, but thank you for joining me. Thank you for coming in. And really without, a, like I like framing, but I believe and trust God that there's something even on your heart in this space. And I wanted to give you a time to like, okay, what's the energy? That, that's the energy of this podcast. People listening to this are leading out in faith-based organizations and not, but nonetheless, this is geared towards with a little bit of the gloves off, my other podcast is, is slightly different. It's more welcoming, trying to have more energy. We're just talking about oneness and all that. This is not that. It, it, like challenge. Let's challenge. So, so what did you think of or what comes to your mind when you hear the D word? And I'm going to start off with the, with, the, with the woman, the leader, the D word, Danny Chitwood in this conversation, just for you. Like whatever you want to have, you know, I guess opening to frame this conversation that we're going to have this next 30 minutes of, of what, what comes to your heart and mind, I think. 
Um, one thing to know about us is we are, I won't say polar opposites, but we, we are um, a pair that we complete each other. And that's kind of the same thing with diversity. Diversity isn't a marriage with inclusion, right? Diversity means different, different types of people, different types of groups, just varied differences. You can't have, uh, you can't have the oneness. You can't have what you're speaking about without inclusion. And that is including people that are different, including them on all aspects, all decisions, all facets of, of life, all facets of your organization. That's, that's the thing that I think of when I think of diversity. You have, you can't, it's a, in a marriage and that marriage is with inclusion. And equity is its child, but that, we can go further into that yeah. a little bit. Bring it in, I like that. I like that. And we, and we share, and we, you and I have never firsthand kind of had this conversation. So right off the bat, diversity, minus inclusion, not a thing, minus equity, not a thing. And I think we share the fact that we both have, we're leading out and adding those extra acronyms, right? Because I would then add on that. And that's why I love the camaraderie in this. And I know Chip, you feel the same way. We talked, so we already went to D-I-E. Yeah. And we all know here collectively in our hearts and spirits is D-I-E, even O in our hearts. So would you share that, Michael? I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, like this is- Yeah, yeah. So what Dan was saying, first of all, just the, um, I fully just affirm that just the diversity, inclusion, and equity, and what Richard, Richard and I have talked tons about, and I know strong in his heart and it's on my heart is oneness. And I would say, for me, when I hear hear these words and these conversations, I think specifically as a white person coming into the conversation, I just think back to earlier in my journey when, and I see this kind of as a trend, that sometimes white folks view diversity, inclusion, equity oneness as like their responsibility like they kind of start to wake up to it and go it's my responsibility to go out and find some black and brown friends and that's you know that's that's me being a good person or me trying to make right in the world and for me the thing is to flip it and go no no i'm the beneficiary of those friendships hmm. my friend group when my circle when my staff team becomes more diverse more inclusive more equitable and, and develops a sense of oneness, uh, other people are not the primary beneficiary of that. I'm the primary beneficiary of that. My life is fuller and richer and better for having a diverse um, friendship group, a diverse staff team, all those things. So for me, I, I think that's just the other perspective that I, I see from, you know, as a, white, as a white person coming into the conversation that I can't imagine now I can't imagine living a life that didn't have diverse friendship groups, diverse staff teams. And I can't imagine not being on the journey to learn about all these other components as well. That it's, it's a journey because it's not like a, you ever arrive, you're constantly learning and growing in that journey. So that's what comes to my mind first. It's not a small thing. The, the, even what we've covered in a few minutes could potentially feel very different than some of the conversations out there. Let's keep it real, right? Because you're saying, and we, I worked corporate America for many years, slam dunk, did a diversity train, training. First of all, I thought we were closer than we were and I leave the training like, man, we are different. Don't love that because then the, the eye pieces out of it, that's what happens. And in inclusion, it still can potentially feel from a posture of, we're the dominant culture. This is the way you're supposed to be. We're going to include you, right? Yeah. So that's when, when you add then the E, when we're saying equitable, not just equal, you're really saying where was the starting line in whatever, whether it's work experience and life or whatever. And for me and my heart, it becomes like oneness adds to that, the equity of like the eye to eye human, where you see the creation of God and you see yourself in there. It messes up your mind. So you're probably thinking like Rich Rail has lost his mind. Kind of, like a little bit, but in a healthy way, because it's like, it rocks me. It rocks me in people in their roles in life and people that are, uh, um, it just, the Holy Spirit keeps going like, but, but what is it like to be them? It, it messes you up. Like, so you're saying, you're judging them. Like, you don't know how they got there. 
wonder what's going on in their life. It's this human, this is it's this the way Jesus would have, and I'm not comparing myself with him, but we're supposed to be Christ-like. Amen. If we're saying we're Christians, so I'm trying, mm-hmm. and he's giving me moments of saying, look at them. Really look at them. And if we've got trapped at gender, if we've got trapped at skin color, if we got trapped at vocation or where a person's background is, you, you haven't even entered the kingdom realm of really seeing the human value of what God has in each of them, correct? Like, like so, so I love that the space that we're saying and then shit where you landed in, it's not the obligation. It's not the favor that I'm doing for you. It's the best stuff in life. If God is the great designer, and he's saying, I intentionally designed this, we're saying poo-poo to like his design by saying, I don't need diversity in my life. I don't need to go. So I love that corner that we already have turned. We're saying, let's get out of the obligatory just space in it. That's cool. Mark the box. That's fine. But at what point are we going to let it wash over us and say, thank you for diversity. Thank you for inclusion. Thank you for equity and what we can learn from each other. And as a white male, or, or, or dominant culture in whatever country you're in, and opposite. So I'm, us as minority groups got to like own the fact that this is not a conversation where it's like, um, we can check out. Not real. Not real. Everyone has to watch. Right, Dan? Like, lean into that. I saw you respond. Like, not real. We got keep them biases in check in all areas, right? You don't answer hate. You don't answer dominant culture with a dominant culture response. Amen. Amen. It gets you into trouble. It definitely will will get you into trouble. And on the other end of that, there's silence. There's complicity. Um, we have experiences where we walk into spaces with um, the dominant culture, and they have a hard stance and they have a platform, and we don't challenge them. And silence is complicity. We're not further in the kingdom of God by not challenging those those subjects by not challenging those people you don't have to challenge them with you know just how you said how the dominant culture may challenge you you can challenge them in love but they have to be challenged if our goal is to get to where jesus jesus ordained us to so good so good so to transition in that uh danny so and i'm not going to mention any organization names unless you all want to and i would have been in the background but i know you've done some work in this area and, mm-hmm. and, to, and you also are in, uh, now in the doctoral program as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Kudos. Uh, I got tired of school when I finished my, my bachelor's degree. So I'm always enamored with people like, good job. Almost, I don't love the term good for you, but I do that to disassociate, <laughs> make sure I don't feel any. I'm like, God, don't even talk to me about it. I'm like, good for you. Like I did my certificate from Cornell in uh, change leadership and I was like, boom, crushed it. <laughs> so you taking that on while raising a young man who's one of the most prolific human beings on earth already i'm not saying that because you're sitting there like just something special in the content and that's the combination of your how are you approaching that because because the other piece i want to hit i want to hit the d word but i also want to know why live a life outside of your like you we do understand people say oh i'm good i've got my husband He's doing this thing in ministry. I'm educated. I'm doing things. I have the son. This is my world. The majority of people live like this. I'm going to make the best for mine and squeeze all I can out of life. And I'm not judging anyone, but that that's a different posture than what you live your life on. What is it and why do you always feel like we can't assume everyone's a posture like that? What, that's why those questions are there, which we're going to hit. But why? Why live for a bigger, like what drives you to even have these conversations, right? Just like, it is what it is. Most people say, this is the word. That's the way of the world, right? Why not have that energy towards diversity, towards even leading out or improving what's driving you towards this, this missional purpose and just period? What drives you? Part of it is just who you mentioned. It, it drives me for my son. I think about what our ancestors did for us and how they wanted to make a, the world a better place for us. My um, great-grandparents were sharecroppers. My grandmother moved up to the Chicago area during the Great Migration. Um, She wanted a better space for her family. And I want to continue that for him. You know, the the things that we're seeing now, 
I want to try my best and I don't I don't know if that's possible you know the on the macro scale we have to be all in but I want him to know that his mom did everything she could to ensure that that it was an equitable space for him and and that's what drives me Just said, um, I'm going to go there and then chill with you. You're, you're not off the hook. We're going to lean in a little bit uh, into, because I've gotten experience firsthand this journey with you through what you've done consistently. Danny leading out in her space and then you then doing some self-reflection and saying, this team I'm leading in. And we want to lean into stuff like you founded uh, um, uh, Team World Vision. And then stay in the survey and all that. But but Danny, before we go there with you guys collectively, and I'm gonna ask you something heavy. What tell me a moment? How can I say this? Maybe it's more chitwood. Like your son in this country, in this world, will not always be taken at the value of who you've raised him to be and who is God has created him to be. In your hardest moments, and I'm not letting you escape it, you were like, what does that do to you, that, that thought, that reality, that before Cruz opens his mouth from some people that are in the dark now, and, and I, I say it like that because it's not hate coming on hate, because we pray for that realization of how we're made. Like, I don't even, like, unless you're in a, multi-ethnic relationship or black woman, like like that's a perspective that you don't even know right like because how do you how do you bridge that gap and then what does that do to you i guess is what i'm asking i don't even really have the clear question hopefully you know my heart and my intent that's a that's a sensitive ground there well yeah i mean i think there's a there's a lot of things early in our marriage even as i was unaware of my own privilege and how i walk through the world in a different way than danny walks through the world there are times when i'd just be like she'd be in an interview process and i'd be like you just got to be more confident and her words for it then were well it's easy to be confident when everyone likes you right and and now i look back at those things and i and i start putting things and she probably didn't have words that when we were that young for it but that it's easy to be confident when everyone gives you the benefit of the doubt. It's easy to be confident when no one's second guessing what you have to say. You know, I'm, I'm a six foot four white dude, former college football player, outgoing, you know, every chance, every opportunity of advantage I have walking into the room, I have that advantage. He's the prototype. I'm, I'm the prototype for what people think. You know, I tell people I'm the person you want to hire. Danny's the person you should have hired. Right. That's a good um, statement. And so when I walked through some of those things and um, was, you know, uh, as I've become more aware, now walking through our professional careers and seeing the different ways we're treated in the workplace. And that, um, <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah. I hope we get that's that. true. We got, we got e-learning y'all. I'm so sorry. We got e-learning going on at the house. I love it. I love it. Cruz is not going to be denied for being on this no. podcast. No, he's not. Keep, keep not. Going. They didn't no, know we should have prepped him a little better. They were in Spanish class. No, you're fine. You're grader. absolutely fine. We are so, We are professionally casual here, so keep going. So that space. Well, this thing then, so then when we were, I, I can think of a moment where I'm a hothead. I'm a hothead. And, and that comes out in privileged spaces where I'm privileged. And I, I lost my cool a couple years ago. Cruz was probably three. We were on vacation and somebody had cut me off in a parking lot. They were swearing at me and doing all this stuff. And I lost my cool and started yelling at this person and, and losing my cool with them. And in the aftermath of that, Danny said, you cannot behave that way in front of him. Like he is not going to get away with that. And I look at some of those things that people who don't understand what that privilege comes with. I can lose my cool in a restaurant. I can be upset with the waiter. And the worst thing people are all are going to say, oh, that guy's a jerk. But with Cruz, when he's 15, 16, or, or an adult man, he does that. Someone might call the police on him. Yeah. And so I think this, for me, it's this really challenging space of walking through life. My parents built me up to believe I could do anything I, I want. They were my biggest fans. 
And I need Cruz to have that belief in himself. That's like part of who I am. But then how do I balance that with understanding he doesn't inherit my privilege, right? That he, when I look at, even in school, I, I, I wore my hair long. I have tattoos. I, I dress how I want. We talk about like, can he dress how he wants when he goes to school? Or does he have to wear a polo shirt? Does he have to dress up a little bit? Does he have to do things to placate white fear or perception? You know, and then we even know that those things don't protect people, right? You can be a Harvard, you can be a Harvard professor and, you know, have a policeman show up on your doorstep thinking you don't belong there at your own house. So we know that that fear, I, I could never have imagined before being a dad to cruise. I had tastes of it when Danny had come home, you know, an hour later than I thought. And I'd be like, oh, is she okay? You know, yeah. something happened. But now with Cruz laying in bed at night, praying with him, that, you know, that he doesn't feel the effects of racism, which we know he will, but that, he, that, that we don't get that phone call someday that something happened. And he lost his life as a result of that. You know? Exactly. So at some point, and this is brother to brother, and we didn't lean into a lot, but like you guys understand, Michael Chitwood is part of the story and reason that I know I've been called into this space starting in 2018 that I had never publicly spoken because God has always given me, allowed me, the privilege and the agony of experiencing extreme hate and racism from folks that are uh, different ethnicities back on me, but also amazing love and companionship from white males and others that said, Richard, even if the enemy wants you to believe, you can take a paintbrush and say all people or they, I won't even let you. Because how do you explain this friendship? How do you explain this compassion? So I need you to hear that. And that's been an important space. And, and you you are on that, if you will, almost a roster of, 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 of encouragement and neutrality that, that, that puts down some of the unhealthy moments that I have when I'm laying face down and the officer tells me, move again, you know what? <laughs> or I'm told you're not welcome there, or I feel that you're not welcome there, or I'm told, hey, I don't like black people, but you're okay. You're a pass. You pass. Look at your athletic ability. You're, you're an engineer. You pass. The micros to the macros. But what I'm saying to you out of love is, at some point, you will have to have and determine, collectively as parents, the conversation I had to have with my son, Richard John Relaford II, whose life mantra is, I'm everybody's friend. This dude is not hurting anybody. But he needs to understand that. When you walk the streets now, RJ, when you're going to school, when you're going to work, when you're going to young life, that's what this kid's heart is. You got to understand, and it's not fear, that if anything happens with an officer or anyone else is approaching you or whatever, you can't assume they know your heart, they know you, and now you look like a young black male in a country that has a lot of fear towards them and there's a lot of aggression going on, I need you to make it home. So I need you to not talk. I need, I need you to sit there because your father just got told by an officer, I don't like how you're talking to me, boy. I'm whispering almost. I'm almost whispering. Tell him this is my license. I'm going to pick up my daughter from cheerleading practice. I don't like how you're talking to me, boy. I cannot choose pride then, because I have to continue on and go raise and do what God has me to do, but there's a part of you that dies. As a black man, there's a part of you that dies. Being emasculated, being disrespected, being devalued, being, what do you do? How can I change? I'm, I'm sorry, my tenor, my voice, what am I to do? So that conversation has to happen. And I'm saying that because I love you. Because it doesn't matter at this moment. And I'm not telling anybody to walk in fear, the Holy Spirit, but we have to walk in wisdom. Yeah. 
So I, I had a moment because like Michael, that that's a conversation. We've talked about this. We've talked about it. Yeah, Rich, I remember talking about we've had multiple conversations about it and we've started. We've kind of realized we yep. can't wait till he's eleven or twelve. He's that's good. Sick. You know, we've started the conversations and we talk about the age appropriateness. And so we there's a there's a new show, Family Reunion, you know, on and there's an episode, there's a heavy episode where these young, young black boys are held at gunpoint by these police. And so we you know, he gets uncomfortable. We tried to have the conversation just last week in pieces so that I don't want him to remember having the conversation one time. I want him to always remember that we talked to him about this stuff and that it becomes, but it is challenging. It's definitely challenging. And there, I do think there's at least some added challenge to being multi-ethnic or biracial in that, you know, he came home when he was three years old and said, to his mom, mama, I want to be white. Well, we we dove into that some more. We just I was just listening to uh, um, Dr. Beverly Tatum's book. Um, uh, Why do all the black kids? Why do all the black kids sit together in the cafeteria? Mm -hmm. And um, but she talks about multiracial children and how it's a very natural thing for them to want to look like the parent of the same gender. And so it may not be you know we we were interpreted as all this heavy stuff, but right, some of it right. was. was it was Black History Month, and he heard what they did to Dr. King. Like, he's like well, I don't quick. want that. Right. I, that quick. That's what that I don't want that. But so we're having those conversations, and it is, again, those challenges. You know, when, when Danny was pregnant, I don't say this often, when Danny was pregnant, I kept telling her, I think it's a girl. I think it's a girl. It's going to be a girl. And I think deep down, I just had this deep-seated fear, like, if it's a girl, she's got her mom. Right. And I've told you this before. No, dude, I remember you're rocking, man. You, did, you didn't tell me this one. You got to keep oh. like you're moving. Me. So I wow. said, I said, you know, if it's a girl, she's going to have her mom. But if it's, if we have a boy, he's going to hit these things and he's going to say, dad, you don't understand. And I'm going to have to say, you're right, son. I don't. You're right. And so that's where for me having, you know, when I talked about, I'm the beneficiary of these friendships. My son needs to see me in diverse friendship groups. And my son needs to have black men in his life and black women in his life beyond our family. And being in youth work, you already know that anyway. You can't be your kid's only mentor. No. They need other adults in their lives anyway. Um, That's but, a great way to look at it, by the way. I like that. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, when I was in youth ministry, you know, your students tell you stuff they never told their parents. And you know, your kid's going to do the same. They need adults that are reliable in their lives. But, you know, it's important. I did say this, though, just, just uh, Monday I was running with a friend, and we we're talking about the choices we've made being a multi-ethnic family, choosing to be in a community that's more diverse, choosing to be on a block where, you know, it's 30 40% African-American versus where we were before, which, like, doesn't even register African-American population. But these choices, and I said, you know, in retrospect, I don't think I would have made any of these choices if my wife was white and my kids were white. But I should have, yeah. right? Just because I wouldn't have, I, I should have. I believe white families benefit greatly from being intentional about being in diverse communities, diverse churches, yeah. diverse schools. Like, yeah. I can't imagine now, that's the value that it brings into my life to say, why would I ever want to go to a monolithic life now? Why would I ever? And I think that's one thing around diversity and equity and even privilege. People think if I acknowledge privilege, I lose. Right. I mean, I'm losing. I'm less than. I'm less than now. I'm I less than. I didn't earn this. I didn't. No, no. No one's saying that. What I would say is you will gain. Once you start to dive in and understand what privilege means, understand the value of diverse friendships and a more living in a more diverse and inclusive space and world, your life gets richer. Do you lose some stuff? Yeah, you might lose some friendships with some people who don't understand your new set of values or your expanding worldview. You might. You know, you may frustrate some people, but you don't lose. It is a net gain, 10 to 1. What helps out, right? Because as humans, and that's why I love mission one race, even though it feels like we're all talking about racial reconciliation, we're talking about human reconciliation, and there's different mm -hmm. forms of privilege. 
Right now, we are focusing on the flashlight and that magnifying glass, which we should on something that is like getting even more so out of control and more reckless, right? This black and white and black male conversation and some of the, some of the unhealthy uh, uh, law enforcement tactics and so forth to say it like that, because I am not a person that believes in some blanket cops or all. That's ridiculous. I stand from a posture that it's it's a majority that actually are in it for the right reasons, for, for the right calling or whatever, and then there's been unchecked um, parts of it that have been looked over or systemic things built into it that have now, it's grown, right? Like when you don't put, you don't rip up the weed, you don't rip it, that's what's happening. My point for that is this, physical ability is a privilege. Being a male on this planet Period. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, is a privilege. Women just by default are coming into... So I'm not trying to take race and ethnicity and to dissolve it down to, 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 to take the, the sting off of it. But understanding human privilege as a whole will allow us to lean into then to see the way the social construct around race has been used as a disadvantage for folks and a privilege. So that sometimes is why I like the approach of going the human reconciliation, because then some folks are less defensive around you have a privilege, even in mental aptitude. I've talked to yeah. students before where I taught like not everyone just can take that and memorize that. And that does not make you better than this person and all that. So what if, here's where I'm turning, and we're going to be landing the plan, respecting your time, but I have three beats that I want to hit, okay? You don't mind, Michael. Yeah. Look at yeah. this. You guys, technically, I serve under his leadership, but in this podcast, he's on my podcast. He has to do, no, I'm joking, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, um, I believe, and this is just a point, yes or no, and maybe Danny, Danny, you lean into it. Your relationship, your love for each other, and even you individually, if God is God, and this is for our folks that are faith-based, and you are welcome because some folks are will believers or already believers, but either way, I have to have this moment where we're talking king, kingdom stuff. God did not accidentally send us to this earth where we were born, how we were born, our gender, our ethnicity. So therefore, if he's a God that understands the social implications of everything and the timing and the economics of it, then you and I, being male, female, black, white, brown, other is a calling. So taking it from a perspective of why God, we have the right to say, why in this season and time am I this ethnicity, this race, whatever the case may be, and there's a will in there. So I think even your relationship is a healer. Real talk. Just, just walking in that space of battles that you've had to have that other people do not have is a calling. It's not accidental. You're walking out. That is a testimony to, to oneness, to reconciliation, to the truth. It, it undercuts the lie. It undercuts the lie. So thank you. As an outside person, look at, I, I'm telling you, I don't know, maybe you have heard that before, but I, do, I think God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. So for us to look at it and go, oh, no, that's a call. You're called to be that that you're calling me. How do you feel about that? Have you ever felt something like that before? Like, man, this is rough. It would be easier, Michael, if you were black. <laughs> it would be easier I, if you were white, Dan. I mean, we talk about I've, I've had the heartfelt conversation with her multiple times. Do you think life would have been easier if you had married a black guy? You know, And she, I'm sure she's had those fears about me. My life would be less rich without this woman in my life. I would not and around racism and diversity is one area, but just around who she is as a human being, That's good. The, the encouragement she is to my dreams. Someone, someone did ask me like, you know, what, if someone says, you know, well, what's it like being in an interracial marriage? I said, well, it's the only marriage I've ever been in. So <laughs> I've got to compare it to. <laughs> she is, Danny is the love of my life. We just celebrated 20 years of marriage. We've been yeah. 22 and a half years. Mm -hmm. And, um, but absolutely, would I be, I would not be the human I am today without her in my life. And she's made my life fuller and richer. And the insights, with, I, I sometimes say we got a spy into the other team. And I don't like thinking teams. <laughs> but it's like, I know, an example would be in. At the hairdresser. At the hairdresser. I get to hear, I get to hear, and then in part, I get to hear conversations the vast majority of white folks will never hear. That's a true story. And then in person, I'll tell I tell white folks like 
your black friends aren't comfortable with you until they talk about white people in front of you. Right. <laughs> and so like, I can be the only. And when you person. say talk about, you're just saying bring up awkward. We're not saying like defame. We're just saying like talk about yeah, awkward. Maybe white a little of both. Ah. <laughs> probably a little of both. Maybe a little bit oh, like a day's bill. Like you not not defame, but you would just talk about. It. Just say, <laughs> you know. And so like being at a family event or something, or being around Danny's black girlfriends, if they will, if they feel comfortable enough, or if my black friends feel comfortable enough to. Talk about your people, you know, oh, your people, Chitwood, you got to get them in check or you got, you know, that means, that means something to me that, okay, rather than getting defensive, I'm, I'm privileged in that. Just full, just full you know. disclosure, it's me that's usually saying that, like, <laughs> that says that to him. We were having the, conver the conversation uh, the other day about how, you know, it's so important to be in community with one another. We're, we're in community with one another and people misinterpret it as that they can go there with you. Um, yeah. Like, oh, he sees, he, sees, he sees Michael going there with me. You can't go there with me. I don't know you like that. Like, Come on. And that's... Relationship that's gives access. That's what people refuse. You've not sown into this relationship. That's other people. Right. You've not sown into this thing. So you're seeing people walking out having conversations that you're not... Yeah. Because we're in a relationship. We're in a yeah. friendship. We're in a, that's, that's, a, that's a solid, good point. Michael Chitwood, you have to leave, but you're not leaving. This is part one, but I want to end it in this really important moment because next week you have leaned into uh, and, and you've allowed me to serve on that internal core team to do it, something that's happening right? Yeah. Uh, not just in the person. We spend a lot of time personal because I wanted to because you get those conversations. I wanted to really like just get to know you more, you Danny know more, and like people here. Um, but there's a number of questions still on, on my on my list here. But I want to make sure that if we are talking to folks specifically that are pastors uh, yeah. in this area, that that we're not just talking. You're not a talk. Dan, Danny's not talk. Like we're about okay. Even mission one race curriculum collaboration community events. Like after this conversation, you just go to the website missiononerace.org. And you get activated. But I want them, because again, this is a strong audience of faith-based community and leaders to know what then right now in this timing and season have you been able to be a part of, uh, yeah, to, for, them, for them to grow. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, Richard and I have the privilege to, uh, we've helped pull together this thing called May We Be One, Pastors Pursuing Racial Justice. It's a, a one-year um, path. Uh, in community together with other pastors to get together once a month and hear from um, some of the most prolific voices on racial justice, racial reconciliation, healing, oneness um, on a monthly basis, and then to be in community discussion with other pastors about that. And then uh, the hope is that then, then churches would activate through different activation things like mission one race and the curriculum and the act, act, action steps for their people. But the, the may we be one pastors pursuing racial justice is a, is a journey specifically designed for pastors and church leaders to gain a biblical foundation for talking about these issues and to, to feel more equipped and then to also be in community with people who look different than them. So yeah, Richard, our first session is a week from tomorrow. Yep, and Richard and I serve on the internal team for that, and uh, it's you can you can find out more, sign up if you're a pastor or on staff at a church or in leadership at a church at uh, worldvision.org/maybe1. And Richard and I are stoked to see all that God's doing through that. And Richard, I just say we're Danny and I are excited about what God's doing through Mission One Race and through you. And I, I mean, I I have been. Um, massive fan on the sidelines of mission one race we're excited to be invited in today because um yeah i got to hear about some of this vision from near the beginning and had to just say to richard like we need you at world vision a while longer so start this do this but stick around and help us do this work within our organization too and so it's been it's been a thrill to get to uh take some big next steps this year together and that stuff yeah so good. I'm proud of you and I'm grateful for you. Man, I appreciate you. And I, I feel bad because I didn't even do the I'll have you I'll have you answer them in the chat or something like that. But but the main three questions you had questions on, do, do you you gotta run though, right? You gotta run? 
Yeah, I got Danny had to just step off. She's in a meeting. Um, I got I can stay on another like five minutes if you got to, or I can answer another way. Richard. No, that is awesome. I'm gonna go straight down the pipe. Okay, okay. number yep. one, and 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 we're gonna have this with a vernacular that you will understand. Who do you think you are? Like I wanted it to feel like that in the questions. Like like all honestly, I've had that question growing up. Like who do you think you? Yeah. Meaning your idea. Why do you think, yeah. Michael? that you can, who, 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 what, and I mean that from perspective of a leader yeah. that's leaned in, who do you think you, like, wh why walk in the space, not just diversity, just lead out, why do ministry, why think you can uh, go against extreme poverty, like, what, yeah. what? Well, we did, I mean, Richard, you know, on our staff team, we did a spiritual identity workshop, and my spiritual identity came out as brother to all, and as I floated that people in my life and I share that spiritual identity, they go, Oh yeah, that's spot yep. on. Right. And that's who I, that's who I think I am because that's who I am in, in God is that God created me to be a brother to everybody, everybody, you know, in my story, I lost both my brothers uh, at young ages. And so they were my best friends and God has given me, you know, it's not the same as your, brothers you grew up with, but God has surrounded me with other brothers and sisters in my life to love like family. That's part of like the global poverty thing. You know, in Matthew 25, when we read about, I read it as Jesus telling us, you know, to expand our view of family, that we will love others around the world like they are our brothers and sisters. That's when we can change the world. And so that's, that goes for any global poverty that goes for bringing racial justice and oneness. It's when you can look at someone and say, that is my brother, that is my sister, right? I'm gonna love them the same way. I'm not gonna try to argue about the pain they're experiencing. I'm gonna try to have compassion for the pain they're experiencing. If I have a role in creating that pain, I wanna stop playing that role and, and play a different role, <laughs> you know? I don't wanna be complicit in the pain of my brother or my sister. You just hit it because the whole point of that question is, who you think you are will affect whether you feel like getting involved and leading out anything. And you kind of leaned into it. And the next question, I found this to be pivotal of your relationship with death. I'm not trying to do that to be a doomsday. I, I say, you can say, what's your relationship with life or death, right? The point yeah. is you had a point and I'm going to do this for you where you launched this ministry. And then there was a moment where you spoke about those tragedies. Why didn't you get off the bus then? You know, like, cause, cause like that's debilitating to a lot of folks. I remember when God called me here to LA the next year, I lost my mother. Right. And I'm like, God, what kind of game is this? Right. Like yeah. you, you call me this epic calling and then that loss happens. Why not get off it? Like, how did you make that decision? To, to keep, I don't, not even complicated answer, but like, you know what I mean? Your relationship yeah. with death in that pocket of fork in the road, going left instead of right or right yeah. instead of left. You know, my dad, I lost my dad when I was 25. So that was my first loss that shaped me for, for the next two losses of my brothers that my dad had been an elementary school teacher for his whole life. Um, he had found global missions work, working, working to fight global poverty the last three years of his life. And I saw him come alive in a way I'd never seen. He's the one that took me on my first trip to Haiti. So when God gave me the vision around team world vision and an opportunity to step into a ministry that worked to fight against global poverty and try to restore that part of humanity. Um, it has felt like a call. I mean, it has been a calling. And so then I feel very privileged that that's what has saved me and got me through um, the hardest time. So then, you know, I lost my dad in 2001. I lost my brother David in 2009 and I lost my brother Dan in 2013. And I have found, you know, that what we tend to do in the midst of pain is to look inward and try to just take care of ourselves when often the thing that heals us the most is to spend our time trying to help other people, right? Um, but I would say my relationship with death, really, really, to put it very frankly, is when I saw my dad die at 60 years old and I saw my brothers die, I said, I'm not going to spend my life um, pursuing anything other than whatever God tells me to pursue. Right. And I'm That's not powerful. going to waste a minute. I, we're not, it's how I let, like people see me, I think, and they think I've got some, 
I, my son and I have a very special relationship. It's awesome. But it's driven largely by my relationship with death and life. Mm. It's driven by the knowledge that I am going to squeeze every drop out of this life while I got it. And because I'm, I'm not promised it. tomorrow. And I'm not, pro you know, I'm, I got a goal to be 102 years old. I just posted on Facebook the other day, 102 <laughs> years and three weeks. Cause Danny's two years younger than me. Her birthday is three weeks later than mine. Her family lives to a hundred. Like that's what they do. <laughs> and my family doesn't. And so my goal is to see her turn a hundred, see my wife turn a hundred, be a grandpa, do all this stuff. So I'm going to do everything see, in my power. See, I love introducing, yeah, you guys understand, when you see my mantra in my mind, these are the friends that God has given me in my life in this season. Do you see how this man thinks? Like that's some extreme thinking, but that's just how he rolls. And it's not a better than lesson, it's how God has built him. And your final, whether it's 30 seconds or not, yeah. you already kind of hit it, right? Uh, why, do you, why do you wake up? Why do you wake up mm. in the morning? I mean, you could have said any of those, like, but what, what, like, what, or what's on your mind? I could even, and I'm changing that question, the one before. I like the why, yeah. what's your relationship with death and life? Because I really wanted to lean us into life perspective. Yeah. And why do you live? Like, why should live? All of us battle. You probably battle some depression. You probably battle some setbacks. Yeah. But now waking up, just give us a chitwood moment. You wake up, and this is what. Well, I yeah. mean, it's been, a, it's been a unique change being a dad. So I wake up for my family, and I wake up. Um, I wake up for my family. That's good. And you just heard me describe family, though. So I wake up for my family that's in my home, and I work up for my family that's, that's uh, you know, walking or that's on COVID lockdown in Kenya right now, my Come sponsored on. kids, their families. I wake up for you, Richard. Love I wake you. up for my brothers and sisters. And so that's what keeps me going is saying, and then a deep belief that it doesn't have to be this way. Dude, the racism doesn't have to be this way. Global poverty doesn't have to be this way. And we can do we can play an active role in doing something about it. Powerful. The best like there is no right answer. You wake up for your family. And yep. you just said he's a brother to all. That's his identity. And death has let him know that life doesn't last forever. So you wanted to count. Dude, thank you so much for going over. Yeah. I mean it. Thanks, I mean the people are going to be blessed by this. Love you, brother. Talk right. to you soon. Appreciate you. Talk to you soon. I want to say thank you again for joining us today, okay? I want to let you know we have more coming from our movement team, and you can support us. You hold fast for information on being a member coming out this month. So, yes, there's activations like the curriculum. If you're at a nonprofit or a company or a church, whatever the case may be, it can, we can have seminar series, sermons, uh, and or if you want to activate with our one community, which is starting up here very soon, October 8th is the first date there. Imagine an eight-month journey meeting once a, once a month going through an 80-minute flow that we give to you with curriculum, with video snippets, with some of this podcast material and questions in a safe space to have conversations around human reconciliation. It, it is going to be beautiful. Uh, or the journey, as I mentioned. All of these things, missiononerace.org. If you want to be a member contributor, you can do that as well uh, because both are members. It costs nothing to be a member, but if you want to be a member contributor, we'd be uh, irresponsible not to allow you to to like give into it because we not only it not only does allows us to do our content our documentaries these podcasts to make the curriculum to to have the software and space and to manage these communities but we also give back ourselves into these partners into partners like world vision into partners like american foundation for suicide prevention socal like uh Go to zero to who we're just recently excited about a conversation with them that they are leaning into this the journey 2020. I like to to give props and 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 encourage me out encouragement out to folks that are doing that and we want to hear from you. So like, follow, send us a note on social media, join us, partner with us. But remember from your brother Richard John Relford, aka Rich Rail Mission. Nope, is wrong. Purpose without mission is purposeless. And God's purpose is always people first, centered, and it's an open invitation because everyone gets the love. We are uniquely the same. And in the name of love, mission, and oneness, your brother, Rich Rail, I'm out.
Patreon. One love.